I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4. Verses 35 through 41, for a message entitled, When Jesus is in the Boat. Christ speaks to the problem of weak faith. Christ speaks to the problem of weak faith. This is one of the best known stories of all the conversations Jesus ever had. One of the best known one of the most loved. I read it, and I reread it, and I understand why for 2,000 years the people of God have come back to this story. There is much here that should encourage us because we all go through storms. We all do. We all come to moments in life where we cry out, Lord, where are You? Lord, where are You? So maybe tonight, we can get a refocus on how to find Jesus in the midst of the storms of life. Let me begin by reading the text for you. Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. And I just mentioned in passing, this story is also found in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke 8, which tells us something. Whenever you find a story repeated three times in the Gospels, it's very important. And it's a story that obviously made a huge impact on the disciples who were in that boat on that wild ride one evening on the Sea of Galilee. So we begin to read in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, and underline that, this is a nighttime voyage. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took Him along. Your version, the one that you're reading, may add a phrase that my version does not have. Your version may add a phrase right there that says, just as He was. That may be in your text. That's very true to what the Greek actually says. Literally, it's something like, so they left the crowd on the shore and took Him along just as He was. That's a very interesting statement. Since He was in the boat. And note, other boats were with Him. It's not just one boat on the Sea of Galilee. There's Jesus and the disciples in the lead boat. And there's a bunch of boats. Jesus had His fans. He had His followers. He had His friends. There's a whole flotilla of boats going across the Sea of Galilee. Verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern. That is Jesus. He was sleeping on the cushion. Underline that. Sleeping on the cushion. So they, the disciples, frightened out of their minds, woke Him up and said to Him, 
probably one of the most unbelievable things anybody ever said to Jesus. Teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? Jesus didn't get mad. He didn't get irritated. He didn't take it personally. Verse 39, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. More traditionally translated, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Could also be translated, a supreme calm. Then He said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Interesting. Look at verse 41. And they were terrified. Verse 40, He asked them, Why are you so afraid? But there's a different word in verse 41. They were afraid of the storm, but they were terrified by what Jesus had done. Isn't that interesting? They got what they wanted. They got the miracle they needed. And it scared them to death. They were terrified. And asked one another, Who is this? Who's this man? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Who then is this? That's the great question, isn't it? That's the great question of the Bible. That's the great question of the New Testament. That's the great question every person must eventually answer. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? We know the answer. He's the Son of God. This is one of the great, amazing, miracle stories of the life of Christ. And I just want to say in passing, whenever you read a miracle story, remember, remember, miracles are never done at random. Every miracle recorded in the New Testament has a purpose. They are divine object lessons. The miracles of Christ prove that our Lord has absolute power over four areas. Over human disease, over death, over the spirit world, and in this story, over nature itself. If you take all the miracles together, what you come to understand is our Lord is supreme. He has all power. Nobody can stand against Him. He can do whatever He wants to do because He's the Son of God. He's the Lord from heaven. Now, before we jump further into this story, it's key for us to understand where this story takes place. It takes place right here. Does anybody know what this is right here? Anybody know what this is right here? It can only be one thing. Does anybody know what this is right here? What? It's a, that is a circle, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. You know what this is? can only be one thing. Does anybody know what? The wind? That's a really good answer, but that's not what I'm looking for. What is this right here? This, of course, you know, once, once I say it, you'll know. It is, of course, the Sea of Galilee. What else could it be? Sea of Galilee. What is this right here? The Jordan River, which flows into the what? The Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee, 
Jordan River, Dead Sea. What's this right here down by the Dead Sea? It's Jerusalem. What else could it be? What's that right under Jerusalem? That's Bethlehem. What's this over here? This great big thing over here. What do we call that? The Mediterranean Sea. See, geography. You guys have it. Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Mediterranean Sea. This story takes place up here in the north. It takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Read the life of Christ. A great deal of the life of Christ takes place in, upon, and around the Sea of Galilee. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee, what's this over here? That's Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is just a few miles west of the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus started His ministry, He established his headquarters at a little village, a fishing village, on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. So you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and what you conclude is Jesus loved this area. He came back to it again and again. Many of his greatest miracles were worked in and around and sometimes upon the Sea of Galilee. Now, what shall we say about the Sea of Galilee? Um, we call it the Sea of Galilee, but that's a real fancy name for, well, down in Texas, we might call that a pond. It's, if you've ever been there, and I hope you go someday, you'll discover that this great big Sea of Galilee really is a lake. It's a big lake. It's a freshwater lake. Here's something interesting. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Okay, here is sea level, okay? The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. That's very, very interesting. It's, it's, about, it's about 13 miles north to south, and it's about 8 miles wide. It is breathtaking. Go there someday, and you will see how beautiful it is. The Jewish rabbi said, God created the seven seas. But the only one he really loved was the Sea of Galilee. You will go there someday and you will see how beautiful it is. And by the way, the fishing in the first century was great in the Sea of Galilee. You know, we, the James and John and Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen. They grew up in, in a little town called uh, Bethsaida, just on the north northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Those boys were fishermen. Now, if you go to the Sea of Galilee today, you discover there's still fish there. But back in the first century, you know what they had? They had sardines. That's right. Had sardines in the Sea of Galilee. And they would be, they'd bring them up in the nets and they would cover them, pack them in salt. And in the first century, you could make a lot of money by catching sardines because they were shipped all over the Roman Empire. And by the way, when we're told that the little boy had five loaves and two small fish, probably they were sardines. Didn't know that, did you? We can't prove it, but probably they were sardines from the Sea of Galilee. Now, you got sardines there. You got a couple of other fish. There, there's one fish that you could go to a restaurant there near the Sea of Galilee. You can order today. It's called Saint Peter's fish, right? Because he 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 put the hook in the water, and Jesus said, "You're going to catch a fish with a coin in its mouth," and he did. And so you go to one of these restaurants up by Tiberius, and you can order Saint Peter's fish. I am saying 
The fishing was good 2,000 years ago, and it is still good on the Sea of Galilee today. And I've already told you, James, John, Andrew, and Simon Peter were fishermen, which means they were, they, they, they were, they were almost born on the Sea of Galilee. They lived on the Sea of Galilee from the time they were little kids. They were in boats with their fathers. So, so this episode that happens in this story happens with at least four of the disciples amazingly trained and amazingly talented who had fished and floated and sailed on the Sea of Galilee all their life. But even that is not really the key to the story. But, see, I'm going into this geography because, number one, it's interesting, and number two, because it's really the key to the story. Okay, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Here's the thing. Go to the Sea of Galilee today, and here's what you find. On the, it's kind of flat coming out the southern end, but on the, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, there's some high mountains that, that, that go up. You know what that mountain range we call it today? The Golan Heights. One of the most disputed areas on the fake. Go over the Golan Heights. You're in Syria, which is one of the trouble spots of the world. The Golan Heights goes up about 3,000 feet. You go up to the north and east from the Sea of Galilee. Just look up there. Can you see it? That's Mount Hermon. You can see it from the Sea of Galilee. It's over 9,000 feet high. You come to the north. There's mountains in the north. Now, you come to the west. When you, when you come into, through Tiberias, you see this huge mountain range. It's called, this huge mountainous rock cliff. It's called the Arbel. A-R-B-E-L. And it just kind of rises from the western side of the Sea of Cali. Then there's a valley here. And there's a road from the first century that went down that valley. So you could go from the Sea of Cali into the city of, you go from Capernaum on that road all the way to the city of Nazareth, then you keep on going. It's about 28 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean Sea. And you say to me, could this possibly have anything to do with the story? Absolutely, of course. Plus, it's interesting. Of course, it has everything to do with the story. Because watch this. Watch this. Because there's mountains here. There's mountains here. And I've told you on the west side, there was a huge cliff here, and there was this open valley here. It almost acted like a wind tunnel. So when a front would come in from the Mediterranean Sea, it would come in through that wind tunnel by the Arbel, and it would hit the Sea of Galilee, and you'd have 40 mile an hour, 50 mile an hour, 60 mile. You could even have 70 mile an hour winds. It's coming up out of nowhere. But even that's not the real story, because even to this day, the biggest storms come not from the west, they come from the east. And you see, Jesus is on the west side. He's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to get in the boat. They're going to go to the east side. They are, and everything's good when they get in the boat. But you see, those mountains, the, the, the Golan Heights, when, when the conditions are just right, the winds that, that come from the east, they come up over the Golan Heights. They come down those valleys. They cross the wadis. And they hit the Sea of Galilee with basically cyclonic force. And here's the deal. You can be on the Sea of Galilee and it can be crystal clear and calm and beautiful. And five minutes later, a terrible storm. And so it was just a, just a few weeks ago down on that lake in, near Branson when the duck boat, you, you saw the duck boat, that video, when the duck boat went out, it was clear and it was calm. 
But when that storm system hit out of nowhere, 60 and 70 mile an hour winds, and that duck boat began, you can see it in the video, and then it just starts to go down. And 17 people died that day. Something like that happened that night on the Sea of Galilee. Severe winds that blew up quickly. Now look, now look. If you were a fisherman like James and John, Peter, Andrew, here's what you knew. You knew that the storm could blow up at any moment. And you knew the last place on earth you wanted to be was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee when a violent storm blew up out of nowhere. Now we call this story Christ calming the storm. So from that, let's just take a simple three-part outline. We're going to talk about the calm before the storm, the calm during the storm, and the calm after the storm. Here's the calm before the storm. We are told at the end of that day, what does that mean? At the end of that day, you got to go back and read Mark chapter 3. you got to read the first part of Mark chapter 4. Jesus and His men had been going from town to town throughout Galilee. From morning till night, they had been preaching and talking and ministering. And Jesus had been healing the sick. He had been casting out demons from morning till night, day after day after day. And on this particular day, such a great crowd had gathered on the shore, on this western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Such a great crowd had gathered that Jesus couldn't speak to them from the shore. So He got into a boat that was near the shore and He used the boat as a kind of floating pulpit. And there He taught the great crowds all day long. They taught and ministered. And when the night came, but before the storm hit, Jesus said, let's get into the boat and let's go to the other side. And so, Jesus and the disciples get in the boat. The boat sets out. And we're told in the text, there was a flotilla of boats that went with them. And the sun begins to go down. And night falls. And there above them, there's the moon. And there are the, the stars in the, in the sky that, that are twinkling like... They're, they're, they're twinkling and sparkling like diamonds. And in the beginning, there's no wind. Almost no wind. It's, it, it's almost like glass. It's a great night to be on the water. And everybody is having a wonderful moment. And Jesus goes and gets the cushion, the text says. It's the cushion that the helmsman used to sit on. He took the helmsman's cushion and he laid down and he fell asleep. Hey, did you know this? This is the only time we we're ever told Jesus went to sleep. Isn't that interesting? Only time, only time we're ever told Jesus went to sleep is in this story. And I pause here to say something very, I think it's important for us to understand what's really going on here. Why did Jesus fall asleep? I'll tell you why. He was tired. Sometimes we emphasize the deity of Christ, which we ought to, but we emphasize it so much, we forget our Lord was a man. He was just like us. When He was hungry, He needed to eat. When he was thirsty, he needed to drink. And when he was tired, he needed to sleep. And that night, at the end of days and days of exhausting ministry of preaching and teaching and healing people and ministering, our Lord, being not just God, but also truly man, He was worn out. And so our Lord went to sleep. 
the back of the boat. Isn't it interesting? He created the water. He created the wind. He created the wood. He even created sleep. Now He uses it. That's the calm before the storm. Now the calm during the storm. We are told, we are told in all three of the synoptic Gospels about this. They are just sailing across the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful evening. And suddenly, without warning, without warning, a fierce gale comes down upon them. When Matthew, when Matthew gives his version, he says in, in Greek, it's seismos mega. Seismos, like seismograph. Seismograph is what you, you know, you, the, the shaking of the earth for an earthquake. Seismos, mega, like Megatron, Megaton. Okay, seismos, mega, meaning it was like an earth-shaking um, storm that hit. It was like a cyclone. It was like a hurricane. It was fierce turbulence that came down from the mountains. Violent turbulence of water plus wind plus Plus rain. See, the storm just came sweeping down the slopes, hit the water. I got a question for you because this is really important. Where'd the storm come from? Who sent it? Who? Let's get straight on that. Job nine eight says of God, He walks on the waves of the sea. Isaiah fifty one fifteen, for I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. This was a God-ordained storm. Nothing in this story is happening by chance. So the storm hits their little boat. And, and as the, the waves begin to crash over, the guys start bailing left and right. And the wind is blowing. And they look up and suddenly the moon is gone and the stars are gone. Everything is dark. It's pitch dark. It's pandemonium. And, the, and the, the waves are pitching the boat this way and that way. And the water's coming in. And they're bailing it out. But they can't bail it out fast enough. It's at night. They're disoriented. And I stop here to say something. Isn't that the way the storms of life always are? Look, this kind of storm couldn't be predicted. It couldn't be controlled. Storms remind us of how vulnerable we are. You've heard the expression, life can turn on a dime. In both of his sermons, Mark has been talking to us from the life of Joseph about that, about how you can be going this way. You can even be obeying God and doing the right thing. Suddenly, your life unexpectedly takes a turn in a new direction. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. What would it take to change your whole life? Just one call? All it takes is just one call. And suddenly your life has changed forever. could be good. We're getting married. The house just sold. I'm graduating next week. Or it could be bad. We arrested your son. The tumor is malignant. You're fired. I'm leaving. Question Bible students. Whose idea was it to take this little trip? Who? Who? Who told them to get in the boat? And now who's sleeping in the boat? By the way, one thing this does obviously show is our Lord was a very good sleeper. Myself, I'm a terrible sleeper. I can barely go, 
I can barely go an hour without rolling over, having to get up and wander around. I don't, I don't sleep very well at night. But here's this unbelievable cyclonic force wind that's hitting him and rocking him back and forth. And Jesus is sound asleep. That's the calm during the storm. No one else is calm. There's panic. Why? Because the fishermen know the danger. So question, why did they wake him up? They thought they were dying. They thought he could help them. They feared they would all perish. i got a question for you. Is Jesus still the Lord when he's asleep? Question, is he? Is he still supreme? Is he King of kings and Lord of lords? While he's snoring back in the back there, sound asleep. Is he still King of kings, Lord of lords, and God of everything? Yes, he is. He is still in charge. But the boys are scared to death. And I don't blame them. If I had been one of them, I'd been going back or grabbing him too. Wake up! Wake up! Wake up! By the way, by the way, just as a little side note on this, when J.C. Ryle, the great British Anglican writer of the late 1800s. When Ryle, J.C. Ryle wrote about this, he made an interesting comment. He said, he said, we ought to read this and it ought to teach us something. I mean, look, this is James and Peter and John. This is the boys, the apostles. This is the foundation. These are the best guys Jesus has, right? This is number one. These are his five-star recruits and they are scared to death. And they are grabbing Him. Wake up, Lord! Don't you care? We are dying! Don't you care? And Ryle made the interesting comment. He said, if this could happen to the apostles, we shouldn't be surprised that we get scared. We shouldn't get surprised that we stumble. We shouldn't get surprised that we struggle. If this story is true, we ought to be a little bit easier in our expectations of each other. Because if these guys, Jesus handpicked men, could have this kind of trouble, we shouldn't be surprised. Look what they said. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? There are three different words used in the different versions. Mark's version, they call him teacher. Matthew's version, they call him Lord. And Luke's version uses a Greek word that means commander. I love that. Commander, don't you care that we are perishing? Let me tell you, we're all there eventually. Lord Jesus, don't you care that my daughter is sick? Lord Jesus, don't you care that my marriage is falling apart? Lord Jesus, don't you care that my friends have deserted me? Lord Jesus, don't you care that I have no money? Lord Jesus, don't you care that I feel so alone? Lord Jesus, don't you care that I want to give up? Lord Jesus, don't you care that my husband died? Lord Jesus, don't you care that I lost my job? Listen, we never question God's compassion when everything is going good. We've got money in the bank. We're singing and we're shouting. You know, when marriage is good, we're so happy. Our kids are serving the Lord. Everything's coming up roses. Let me tell you something. If all you have is a God of the good times, you do not have the God of the Bible. Or else, what are you going to do when you get that call? What are you going to do when the doctor says it's malignant? What are you going to do when your marriage blows up? What are you going to do when a couple of your children begin to wander away from the Lord? If all you have is a God of the good times, you don't have the God of the Bible. Let me say it to you this way. You discover your theology at midnight. 
You learn it in the sunshine. You discover what you believe when you're in the boat and the water is coming in and you think you're about to sink. That's when you discover what you really believe. As someone has said, you'll never know if Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. But when Jesus is all you have, then and only then will you know that Jesus really is all you need. One other little thing, the calm before the storm, the calm in the storm, finally the calm after the storm. We can just summarize this very simply. Jesus woke up, He got up, and He spoke up. I love this. What do you think would have happened if they hadn't awakened Him? You think Jesus was going to let His guys go down? No. He wasn't going to let His guys go down. They didn't have to wake Him up. He's God. He can take care of my sleep just as much as He could awake. He slept during the storm, but He woke when His disciples needed Him. And by the way, this is what? In the traditional version, it's peace, be still. Okay? He rebuked the storm the way you would speak to an overzealous puppy. The word peace, watch this, the word peace literally means hush. Hush is a really good... He said to the storm, hush and and be still. Literally, in Greek, it's be muzzled. Like putting a muzzle on a dog. Which is why one writer said, we ought to translate this, hush, back to your kennel. And instantly, instantly, the storm ended. No theatrics, no craziness. Jesus speaks and the storm stops. Why? It has to. The wind must obey. The waves must obey. They have no choice. Why? Because they recognized His voice. They knew their Master's voice. And here's the result. Jesus speaks the Word just like that. The clouds are gone. Just like that, the waves settle down. Just like that, the wind disappears. Just like that, the sea becomes perfectly calm, absolutely still, supreme calm. Millions of gallons of water settle down. Gale force winds stopped in an instant. Who did this? Psalm 107.29 He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. The end of the story. Now everything's okay now. Everything, we're going to be saved now. We've made it because Jesus is up and He's calmed everything down. He asked them two questions. Why are you so afraid? Question two. Do you still have no faith? They're filled with great fear. I've already pointed that out to you. They were afraid of the storm, but after Jesus speaks, they're terrified of the Master. Where's this man from? He's not from around here. What a wonderful picture of our Lord. Jesus is so human, He has to sleep. He's so divine that He puts the storm to sleep. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know that name, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this story, now we're turning for home now. When Bonhoeffer wrote about this story, he wrote this sentence, when Christ is in the boat, a storm always comes up. Mmm. should write that down. When Christ is in the boat, a storm always comes up. 
How do you get the faith you need? I got one answer for you. You got to get into the boat where there are no storms. There's no danger. Where there's no danger, there's no fear. Where there's no fear, there's no testing. Where there's no testing, there's no learning. Where there's no learning, there's no growing. Where there's no growing, there's no faith. Let me make that simple. No storms, no faith. Few storms, a little faith. Many storms, much faith. What I'm saying to you is in the spiritual life, there are no shortcuts. Brothers and sisters, the storms of life are not a detour. They are not a mistake. They are not sent to destroy you. Let me go back and say it again. Who told them to get into the boat in the first place? It was Jesus. It was His idea all along. Question, did He know about the storm in advance? Yes, He did. And He told them to get in the boat anyway. Did He warn them in advance? No, because that would have ruined the lesson they needed to learn. They got the storm because they got in the boat. They got in the boat because they were following Jesus. So, what did they learn that night? They learned about His power. The wind and the waves obey Him. They learned about His promises. They made it to the other side. They learned about His presence. They were safe in the storm. So I'm going to give you the lesson, the whole sermon here, just in one sentence. Here we go. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't last. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't last. Let's say that together. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't last. Say it again. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't last. One more time. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't last. So I, uh, I, I came to this point at the end of my sermon and I just was thinking about things. i got a lot of friends right now who are in hard places. Hard places. I've got a lifetime friend just diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma. Very bad. For which there is no medical cure. A friend struggling with treatment of ovarian cancer. A friend I've known for 45 years, just diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Another friend, brain tumor. Another friend with some kind of disease the doctors can't even figure it out. And that's just the people with the health issues. And I'll tell you what I've learned to say. I want to say it to you tonight. If you need a miracle, ask for one. There's no extra charge for large requests. If you need a miracle... Ask for one. There's no extra charge for large requests. And I think about my friends who are struggling right now. So many of them. And I ask, has God abandoned them? No, no, no. Jesus is the Lord of the wind and the waves. When He calls us, we get into the boat. When He sleeps, we toil on. When the storm comes, we cry out to Him. When He awakes, He calms the storm. And when the storm is over, our faith is stronger. Question, are you in a storm this very moment? 
You are not there by accident, but by your Father's design. He does not intend to hurt you. Even though tonight you feel like screaming because your pain is so great. You are not alone, even though it feels that way right now. You may have lost everything, but you have not lost the Lord. He is still with you, even though you cannot see Him or sense His presence. Fear not. Keep believing. The Master of the sea is by your side. Eventually, the day will break and you will see the sun shining again. Now listen to me. Listen. When Christ is in the boat, a storm always comes up. So I've got a question for you. Is Christ in your boat? Is He 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 in your boat? Good! Good! Get ready for trouble. Jesus can still the storm, but He stirs it up first. Just a reminder for those hoping for a calm boat ride with Jesus. Let me say this and we are done. When you look back, you will see that your faith has grown stronger by the storm you have passed through. When Christ is in the boat, the boat won't sink and the storm won't Last, what a Christ we serve. Even the winds and the waves obey Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, tonight, increase our faith. Lord, take us from where we are to where You want us to be. Lord, we thank You for the storms of life because You were there with us. And when You were with us, the boat will not sink and the storm will not Last, so increase our faith to love You and serve You and stay with You because You have promised never to leave us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.